Hi, and welcome to Strangers on the Internet, a podcast about making online dating work for you. My name is Irene Manta, and I'm a professor at the Maurice Dean School of Law at Hofstra University. I'm also a dating coach and a consultant for the dating app industry. All views expressed in this podcast are the speaker's own and not their employers, myself included. Michelle is traveling this week, so I will be your solo host for this episode. I have some very cool guests for you today namely director Anna Packman and other cast members who made a short film called Cripfished that we will discuss today along with much else. I am really excited to have with me today the director and cast members from the new fictional short film Cripfished, an entrant in the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge, for which you can find the info in our episode show notes. I have already gotten a sneak peek at the script, but I cannot wait to see the full film, and I'm sure we are all going to love it. Anna Packman, who goes by She, is an award-winning New York City-based director, writer, producer, and advocate for disability inclusion in the media. She enjoys creating content that accurately and positively portrays the lived experience of people with disabilities. She currently serves on the leadership team of Lights Camera Access, through which she helps facilitate workshops for and mentors young adults with disabilities interested in pursuing careers in entertainment. Anna holds a BS from New York University, an MBA from Columbia Business School, and a certificate in sketch writing from the Upright Citizens Brigade. Brie Clauser is an actress, singer, voiceover artist, comedienne, and songwriter who happens to be born legally blind. Brie Clauser, who goes by they or she, earned a BFA in acting from Brooklyn College and was a vocal student of the late Metropolitan Opera tenor Francisco Casanova. In 2019, Brie made their on-screen debut in the Apple TV Plus world-building drama series C in the role of Matal alongside stars Alfred Woodard and Jason Momoa. In August of 2020, Brie starred as the lead role of Emma Gable in the new Audible original series Freaks, alongside Carrie Coon, Christian Slater, Ben McKenzie, and Justice Smith. Brie also starred in the award-winning comedy short film Social Fitness by Anna Packman, playing at the famous Chinese theater in Hollywood on September 28, 2021. Melissa Jennifer Gonzalez, who goes by She or They, is a Colombian-American singer and actor on the autism spectrum. They have premiered a workshop adaptation of a self-pence semi-autobiographical musical at The Tank, directed by Brie. Melissa's creativity continued during the COVID-19 pandemic by filming an original sketch for YouTube called Corona and the Quarantinas, followed by the virtual cabaret The Nasty Aspie Show with Emir Productions. Their TV and film credits include Gotham, Let the Right One In, In the Heights, and the upcoming film Challengers. Melissa made their EDFC debut appearance in last year's film short, Pandora, and is thrilled to make their leading debut in Cripfished. Welcome to all of you, and thanks so much for being on the Strangers on the Internet podcast. Thank you. Anna, why don't you tell us a bit about the plot of Cripfished and what inspired you to create this film? Well, Arena, first of all, thank you so much for having us on the show. Super excited to be here. Cripfished is about two characters who meet on an online dating app. One of them is named Logan, um, who's a a non-binary individual, and they are looking to date a woman named Amy who is blind and only wants to date another person with a disability. And so Logan lies to Amy and pretends that they are also blind, um, thus the title Cripfished. And one of the things that inspired me is just, as I'm sure many of your listeners have had, some really terrible, no good experiences on online dating apps. There was one date I went on in particular with a gentleman who stretched the truth and pretended to be someone who lived in my neighborhood, uh, but in reality was just here visiting from another country. Well, it sounds like a experience that a lot of people have had in some way, shape, or form, myself included. Um, so uh, I, I assume in Cripfish, the catfishing uh, goes about as well as might be expected in real life, huh? Yeah, and it's a, it's a huge thing too, because I think in these spaces, these online spaces, people have the opportunity to be 
anything that they can possibly imagine. Um, but then the problem is when you go out, out into real life, that thing that doesn't exist, you kind of have to square those two realities. Um, and I think it's just like such a common thing um, on, you know, online dating where people stretch the truth about themselves, whether it's their age or things about their appearance. And, you know, just in general, I think with dating, it's a situation where you kind of have to be vulnerable with people. And it's hard to do that when there's this like loss of trust, you know, at the start of it. And that's a big thing that the movie deals with as well. It's just a factor of trust. You know, I think it's less so that this character, Logan, is not actually blind. The bigger problem is that they lied. But, you know, as we find out in the movie, I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. They had a good reason. Yeah, no. And that's uh, such a typical reason that people think like, well, if I just if I just don't tell the truth in the beginning, but then down the line, you know, I, I bet they're going to like me anyway. I bet they're going to accept me anyway. They just have to meet me and then they're going to get over whatever their filters were. In this case, right, it may have been a, a disability based filter, but it could be any number of other things. Also, Melissa and Brie, I want you to be able to jump in. How have you both enjoyed the experience of starring in Cripfished? Thank you, Irina, for having us. I'm very excited to be working with Anna Packman for a third year in a row for the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge. I I love the teams that she brings together. Not only is everyone that she finds incredibly talented and kind and very uh, great, like team players uh, some some of the people that she brought together have become great friends, and I'm very lucky to actually be working with one of my best friends, Melissa Gonzalez, who I have known since 2017. It's it's kind of a, a not, I'm not going to say funny, but kind of a shocking thing that happened during our shooting. Uh, so uh, we, originally we were slated to start shooting this week in the challenge and the challenge is exciting. We have like less than five days to make a five minute short film with very particular parameters and this specific topic. This year's topic was romance and the awesome team we are and the the funny people we are. We made a romantic comedy with a, a bit of cringe humor, may I say, uh, uh, a la the, the office and that, of the likes. So originally it was me as Amy and uh, another friend of ours who has worked with us for a couple of years, Mary Von Aoi, to play Logan and Melissa was going to be in the film as well as the waiter and we uh, being health conscious and being you know, you know a vulnerable population of people with disabilities we wanted to make sure that everyone COVID tested so that you know we were going to be around each other obviously there's some uh, close intimate contact in this film so we want to make sure everyone's healthy and sadly uh, Mary had tested positive so she had to go home and Melissa, we had already set up kind of a fail-safe system of everyone having an understudy, and Melissa stepped up to bat as the lead in the movie, and I really think that she stepped up to the plate and really, you know, knocked it out of the park, and I think, I, I hope that as not just a co-star, but as a supportive friend, uh, we, I was able to help you in that and I I it was it's always so nice when you get to act with people you know well I felt like there were moments that we we were able to bring the vulnerability out um in in this kind of kooky comedy with all the these lies and deceits there there are real moments of tenderness and I feel like our personal chemistry as people who have known each other for years and years comes across on film. And, you know, I'm I'm really happy to share my first on-screen smooch with my bestie. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited for people to see this film. Not only do we have disability representation uh, across the board, uh, I am both uh, legally blind by birth and also... I still had to identify as someone who is neurodiverse. I was recently, as an adult, diagnosed with ADHD, but most people know me for my more visible disability. And my friend Melissa is on the autism spectrum, so we not we have a range of disabilities in this film. We also have uh, representatives of the LGBTQI plus community. And I think it's really important to show that this time, with everything going on in this country, 
it sometimes feels like we're living in two different worlds where it's like RuPaul's Drag Race is the most popular show, reality show and then we have states where people uh, people's rights are being taken away for just trying to live. So to show this diverse kind of love, uh, disabled love, queer love on film, I think it's more important than ever. So I, I'm was really happy that Anna decided to make this a not only just a disabled but a queer romance story and it makes me feel like doubly seen wow melissa you want to add anything to that (laughs) wow um i i couldn't possibly top that but yes well said brie and it was a pleasure to work with you on set as well and also that was my first ever on-screen kiss my very first queer kiss on set, that is. Yeah, so the process was very nerve-wracking, particularly for me, because um, I've never worked as an on-screen lead before. I've only done supporting roles, and and I've only done work as an extra or as a background actor. So that is until the pandemic hit, and I realized I had to put in my creativity to the test. So I did my Corona and the Quarantinas bit. I also did my very first cabaret that was done virtually online. And I thought, okay, I can do this. But then when it comes to being on on my first ever lead role for, for this particular film and also for Easter Seals, it's a really, really gratifying experience but nerve wracking as well, because I had to step in last minute. But I'm so glad that I was working with a team who was very supportive and very patient with me throughout the process. So I, I can't help but say I'm very grateful. So yeah, it was very special for me to be a part of it. And I'm very grateful for Melissa, you know, I think, talk about, you know, really stepping up to the plate when, you know, we were in such a critical moment, because The thing about the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge, which by the way, is it's in its 10th year, is we only have five days to make these films. And that includes everything from shooting it to editing it, um, you know, uploading it, (laughs) all of these things that need to happen, need to happen in such a short period. So whereas, you know, if this was a different type of production without that kind of challenge, maybe we could have waited, you know, 10 days, 14 days, what have you, for the other cast member to test negative after having COVID. In this case, we just had to go. And Melissa did such an excellent job. And one of the other things, you know, about the film and the theme of what happens with the characters playing um, something they're not, it's actually also not just a commentary on online dating and all the ridiculous stuff that happens there, but also on the ridiculousness in Hollywood, where we see this happen all the time, where in major films and TV shows, there are characters with disabilities that have been a big part of them for years and years. Um, However, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll cast someone who does not have that disability. So those actors with disabilities go on to win a lot of awards. There have been many cases in Hollywood where that's happened with the Oscars. However, you know, for those of us who actually have those lived experiences, when we watch them, and it's called Cripping Up in the community, that's kind of where the title comes from, Cripfish. So it's a play on the words catfish and Crip Face, which is someone without a disability portraying a person with a disability. A lot of times, even really, really great award-winning actors, they just can't get it right because they don't fully understand that lived experience. And so for us, you know, you'll see in the film, and I'll give a little spoiler here, one of my favorite parts of it is when Melissa, when she's in character as Logan, is walking into this outdoor cafe uh, with her blind cane and she's kind of looking around um, and she's doing all these exaggerated things. Like she's doing it in such an exaggerated way because she's not truly blind. And that, you know, based on what we see in today's media is her interpretation of what she thinks a blind person should be like because of all of the non um, authentic casting that happens in the world. And that's part of my inspiration too for making these films for Easter Seals is shining a spotlight on talent with disabilities like Melissa, like Brie, like other folks in the films, and showing people in the industry 
that there is so much talent that they're missing out on that, you know, it's great that they're writing these roles, but by the way, you can get a disabled writer to write that role more authentically. You can get a disabled actor to play that role more authentically. And at the end of the day, you're going to get a better product that the audience is going to like even more. If I can add to that, Anna, I think, um, we it is kind of an added layer that we're making that commentary on cripping up and crip face and when i as an actor with disability when i tell my fellow actors and directors about it they say oh i never heard about that i never thought about it but like it really is just as insulting to someone who has a disability to see someone crip up as it's just as wrong in my opinion as someone trying to you know change your appearance to look like a different ethnicity which is a horrible practice that if you look in whole old hollywood you, you can see big stars doing and it's like this big mark on their record and and fortunately we don't do that anymore but we are still crip facing and it is it is kind of weird that people don't see that as something just as offensive and they still think it's a a skill set real quick i also i also want to throw my two cents on this because these are the things that get me really riled up. So if anyone remembers that Sia decided to direct a film called Music about an autistic youngster, she immediately decided to cast somebody who is able-bodied. And when she decided to defend the casting choice after people from the autism community decided to speak up against it I saw Sia's response and I was just as outraged as anybody else and I think that's one of the motivations as to why I'm doing what I'm doing because I really want for people to see authentic representation played by folks who live through those circumstances so yeah I also think that crip facing is is just wrong, much like blackface, much like yellowface. It's it's just becoming very outdated, and we really could use authentic representation in any circumstance possible, mm-hmm. particularly on stage and screen. You know, it makes me wonder sometimes whether one of the reasons that we're seeing that is that some of these directors think that there are going to be certain versions of Hmm. visibility that are going to be more palatable to the general public, right? Like a cleaned up version. Um, And and that sort of brings us to to another question that I have, which is, what are some of the stereotypes and preconceptions that you feel like people have about individuals with disabilities and also specifically given the theme of this show and the theme of the movie, um, specifically about stereotypes and preconceptions about the dating lives of people with disabilities. And like, wh- what would you like to clear up for people? I would love to speak if, about you know, this first. Right. Um, and I'm going to speak about it from um, my lived experience as a legally blind person and a legally bro- blind person. I'm going to say this with passing privilege and what what that means is that i i go about my life um i do not use a cane every day i use a low vision identifier cane when i am in a place where i need help like an airport somewhere an unfamiliar surrounding where i may be traveling alone um my disability does i i have mobility limitation in the sense that i'm not able to drive a car so i am in a situation where i need to be able to have accessible and reliable public transportation or ride shares. So um, it, as far as the perception of disability, I think when I when I kind of came out as disabled in, in I, I feel like I had multiple coming outs in my like public life. There's, you know, I always knew I was queer. Uh, I, I knew I was bisexual since I was younger, but like I publicly came out as disabled in my mid twenties because, and it's, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to say is because I finally felt validated by the industry being able to accurately, uh, authentically represent the blind and low vision community on Apple TVC and being one of only the few actors and not, and not even in a principal role, but that kind of speaks to the reason why directors don't do it is because there's one, there's not enough of us Two, They think it's expensive. 
and uh, to, to answer your thing, and and three, they um the the preconceptions that they have are that when it comes to dating, the preconceptions is that especially blind and low vision people is that they live very lonely lives. I think there's um, preconceptions of uh, because of mobility limitations that you know they're not going to be social. There is a preconception that blind people only date other blind people, which I'm glad that we adjusted to in this case to um, be disabled people. And particularly for me, and this is just how it's worked out for me in my life, I haven't dated another person with a physical disability. I've dated other neurodivergent folks because I, I feel like maybe that is where, where the communication matters me, for me, like for someone to be on the same wavelength. But um, it, I think... You know, as as any one of my as Anna and 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 Melissa can say, I'm I'm kind of a little bit more like Logan in real life when it comes to my dating life. <laughs> I don't I don't apologize about my disability, and when it does come up, it's 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 very frank. It's just a yes, Anna. I mean, I was just gonna say, I think you're more like Amy. I think I think you know who you are and you know what you want. Yes, yes, but I meant just you know being a stud. <laughs> but yeah, Amy, I don't think it. What's great about Amy is Amy does not apologize for disability. She um she is she's putting herself out there and confident. She's really just her. I think her pre the main preconception about you know really feeling like she needs to be with someone disabled is that she wants someone to understand her and not and something I'm actually personally experiencing like even within the last couple of weeks as a recently single person is that um I don't need people to make accommodations for me I I I'm fortunate enough to have had the same disability all my life I did not have an unfortunate tragic accident or illness I did not become blind so I I know what I can do and what I cannot do and what I might need help. And I've noticed going on dates with people with non-physical disabilities or allistic people or able-bodied people is that they think that they're doing me a favor when they are being accommodating. But in the case of a date, in a, in a professional situation, I will accept that. Because I think that's like the courteous thing to do. Me, I, I prefer to be treated like everyone else. That's just me. But I think it's courteous to be like, oh, oh, watch out for the step over there. Like, because I think people assume what I can or cannot see. And I'm, I'm willing in a professional situation, like I give that with a grain of salt. But I think especially with dating, I, I, I want them to see me as a person first rather than someone with a disability. I I want them to think I'm sexy. I want them to think I'm funny. I want them to think I'm interesting. And, you know, I, I want vice versa. I want someone who is all, the, all those things as well. So having like two or three experiences where I don't necessarily feel discriminated by my disability, but I do feel like someone is treating me with kid gloves. And as an adult dating, that's not what you, you do not, the last thing you want to do is feel infantilized in any way, even if someone has the best intentions. And me having to be like, listen, um, if I need help, I, I can accommodate for myself. I will ask you, I will ask you or ask someone around you. I, I see what you're doing and I appreciate it, but you don't got to do that, bro. And uh, there's some people who totally get it. Like, I am I started seeing someone uh, recently and they, I said, I really like that you don't assume, you know, my disability. And they're like, well, yeah, you're an adult. You can advocate for yourself. And I'm like, oh, my God, thank you for saying that. And immediately I became, like, even more attracted to them when they said that. <laughs> so when people get it, it's it's great. And I think... There, there are people in the industry that get it too, that disability, all disabilities are on a spectrum. Blind doesn't look one way. And I think a lot of people think that blind has this like glossed over look. There's, there's this assumption toward blue eyes. I don't know why, <laughs> but I've noticed that. There's an assumption that blind people don't look in the direction of people when they talk, but we, we live in a sighted society, so I'm, depending on how comfortable I am with someone, 
I will make less eye contact and people who know me well say like I will I will like kind of glance away when I'm thinking and then once in a while make eye contact but yeah most most blind people have some sense of that kind of social um, construction and not everyone uses a cane not everyone wears sunglasses all the time I wear tinted contact lenses I have a thing called chromatopsia so yes light affects my vision a lot but I I can get around with just my contacts some of the time and I don't need a mobility device or a dog. And, you know, I've even been accused of by strangers, you know, lying and thinking that I am not because they only we, we learn from our perception. We learn from we learn from the media. I think it's our number one teacher as far as like what the world looks like. So if they've only seen one type of blind person, when especially when people say legally blind, they they just they think that you can't see anything. So um, I think to show things along the spectrum of disability is very very important. So I I I, I was really happy when me and, when me and Anna were talking about this role. It was really important for me to play Amy as close to someone who happens to have a similar spectrum of vision as I. Um, Amy does have a cane, but Amy, if you notice, Amy doesn't wear her glasses outside when she doesn't need to. Amy, Amy uses technology. Amy, people assume that like blind people can't use technology to that everyone reads braille some people still read braille i've never learned braille it you know and i don't think i need to because we live in the 21st century and so many of my fellow blind and low vision friends more likely use either enlarged text like i do on my phone or voiceover which is when a kind of like a robotic siri voice will read content for you on your screen or a screen reader and so we see a little bit of that uh Amy using speech to text, which is not just used by blind people. It's all my nerd. A lot of my neurodivergent friends use that too because texting is hard <laughs> sometimes. So I, 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 I love that we got to add those little moments of like authenticity of like, yeah, low vision and blind people in the twenty first century. We know how to use phones. We we use we are on, we are on dating apps too. We're on dating apps, and some of us may disclose our disabilities. Some of us may not. And, you know, that that is not that is only based on the individual's choice. Yeah. So just just to kind of comment on what Bree was just saying about the character. One of the things that you'll see when you watch the movie, which, by the way, it's going to be out on April 8th um, and everyone's going to be able to watch it on the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge YouTube, Facebook and Instagram channels. So one of the things you'll see are these really subtle things in the differences in the way that in the opening scene, you'll see both Logan and Amy on this dating app. It's a big app called Tumble. Um, also, because mm -hmm. I personally have cerebral palsy and I'll get to my disability in a minute and how that's affected me. But, you know, so it was a little bit of a joke because some of us tend to fall over. So tumble, it's kind of like a play on bumble. And we also fall in love and it's all, you know, it's all part of the same. And you see them using these phones and Logan is using the phone in the way that most people would. But you see Amy like really zooming in on Logan. And it's because, you know, she needs that as an accommodation for her uh, visual impairment. But it's also like presented in a way that's not only perfectly normal for her, but you know, you kind of don't realize that a lot of people might not realize that it's because she's visually impaired. It might just be because she's getting a closer look at this person. So, you know, we wanted to show all of these things as easy and valid and equal to each other, the way that the different ways that they both look at those phones, they're at the end of the day, they're they're getting to the same result. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a big part of perception and misperception of disability whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in the dating world. I think that a lot of times, and this is fed by the media as well in the conversation we were having earlier about you know, representation, is a lot of times in the media that we've all consumed growing up, it's presented in like the most ridiculous way possible. So think of all the stock images, think of all the TV shows. I'm thinking of Saved by the Bell, I'm showing my age here, growing, you know, watching a lot of 90s TV when I was home from school. And I remember the first person I saw in a wheelchair on TV, 
And she was using the jankiest hospital wheelchair that no one in real life would even be able to push because they're just so poorly designed. And, you know, I myself, that's how I get around. I get around with wheeled mobility. Cerebral palsy affects my ability to walk. It affects my fine motor skills a little bit, but it really doesn't affect much else. And people have these conceptions that like, oh my God, poor you, you're not going to be able to do things, I think, in the industry too, because production is hard. It's long hours. We had a 12-hour shoot day for this. And they, you know, a lot of people have the conception of, oh, you use a wheelchair, you must be getting tired. But actually, I'm less tired than most people because I'm sitting all day. I bring my own chair. I don't need anyone to bring me a chair. It's something, you know, my disability is something that I was born with. So like Brie, it's something that I'm used to, but my relationship to my disability has definitely changed. And even though it's a little bit comical because my disability is clearly visible, uh, maybe not now, or, you know, you're hearing my voice that you wouldn't realize, or you're seeing me on Zoom from the chest up, you might not realize. But I remember when I was in my early 20s, um, my first 21st birthday, not my current 21st birthday, by the way. And I would just be very self-conscious about, oh, do I look too disabled doing this? Do I, you know, do I look too disabled doing that? Without really thinking about like, wait a minute, like people are going to see my mobility device and they're going to put two and two together. So whether I, you know, try to look slightly less disabled or not, other people's perception of me is not going to change. And I might as well own that. And, you know, so my relationship also to the disability community has changed over time too, where, you know, I think when I was young, probably like in my teens, be like, oh, you know, like, oh, I'm not as disabled as like those people. But then, you know, you realize that other people see you as those people and you have to own it and you have to make the situation better, not just for yourself, but for everyone else too. So that's kind of what brought me to advocacy. And then also, you know, speaking of the dating world, one common thing, especially if you have a physical disability, and I don't know if, if you know, I'd love to hear from Melissa and Bree, but I exclusively date men. And so they exclusively have the question of like, does it work? Can you do it? And my answer to that is always, you know, my disability mainly affects my ability to walk. Like, are you guys really walking when you're in bed? Like, no one does that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Melissa, do you want to jump in here too uh, and, and, and comment well, um, on the dating experience? No, no, no. I'm, I'm more than happy to um, talk about that. Um, my dating life has been non-existent up until now because uh, prior to meeting my partner, who I've been with for almost three months, I, I decided that I wanted nothing to do with the dating scene, to be honest with you. I've had very traumatic experiences dealing with people, um, given, you know, my autism and how it's, it's done a lot of harm to me because I've had so many misunderstandings between people and that itself can cause trauma, not just with strangers but also with families as well and I thought to myself well yeah maybe this is better this way being alone and you know be the crazy gaming uh rock and roll cat lady <laughs> but um after after coming to grips with me being non-binary I thought to myself okay well um I don't think cisgender men attract me. Uh, so I might as well be open to dating trans men or non-binary folk like myself. And yeah, I, I guess I thought I would give up on the whole dating scene up until I met my partner recently. I will admit that I was this close of being catfished because I, I used to try the online thing and it wouldn't do me any favors, to be honest with you, because most of the, um, People who would shoot me messages or better yet slide on my DMs would propose uh, sexual favors to me. And obviously I'm not going to be 
I, I'm not going to be that type of person. I, I've never been that type of person because I'd rather be respected as a human being rather than a sex object. But I have to say I'm very grateful for my current relationship, even though I've known this person for three months. But I think I've hit the jackpot this time because not many people like myself can say that, that they have managed to find the one, you know. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy at the moment. <laughs> That's great. Melissa, what do you think is different about your current partner and that makes it work so um, wonderfully well, well, it sounds um, like? Prior to my partner, I did have another relationship and it was a boyfriend. But that relationship did not last very long because we went our separate ways because he was... Uh, studying abroad and I was going to study abroad so um, we parted amicably and when I did find myself in moments where I was somewhat dating probably not enough like most I, I realized that being around cisgender macho guys just wasn't the thing for me because, and, and this is maybe a different subject for another time, but most of the cisgender guys that I've encountered with have always been very domineering and prone to violence. And that's not really my bag. So I went to be um, single for almost my entire life. And then when I met my partner, my partner is very like-minded. Um, we're we're both collectors, uh, we're both gamers, we're, we're both geeks, and we, we love the same type of music. And they revealed to me that they don't identify as a certain type of gender. They're more of a she-they as well. And, um, and I thought, oh my god, this person gets me. I still feel very giddy talking about my partner because, oh my God, it's like I'm, again, I will stress that I've hit the jackpot with my current partner. So it feels really amazing. Let me ask all of you, if you were to kind of go back in time a little bit, what advice would you give to your younger oh. selves about romantic <laughs> relationships? Like, you know, wisdom that you've acquired. Who wants to start? I see everyone wants to say something. So so I'm, I'm kind of coming from the opposite uh, end of the spectrum as Melissa. I just ended a nine-year relationship with someone who I, I lived with and Someone I, I still care about deeply, but I think what what's most important, like, it is it is important to absolutely find someone who accepts you for who you are. And I will say with my ex-partner, he absolutely accepted me for my disability. Maybe a little less with my neurodivergence, but definitely with uh, my visual disability. And, and it, that wasn't really the issue. I think the issue, and this is, you know, universal across, you know, able-bodied, disabled people is that people are who they are. And life is short for all of us. And you need to see people for what is in front of you and not their potential. It's really easily, especially when you start a relationship or if you feel like, okay, this person gets me on so many different levels, but... I want this and they don't want that and this and that, or like, oh, this keeps happening. We have this communication issue here, this and that, you know, you can only be so patient. You can only be so self-sacrificing because at the end of the day, a relationship is about two people and no one's needs should be compromised. No one should ever take a back seat. And, you know, I, I I can say that, like, I've been guilty of that on, on both levels. But I think it's just, I think honesty and communication is so important that, uh, and, and, and to, not just at the initial stages, but to continually be checking in with each other and continually 
reassessing each other's boundaries. <laughs> That's another thing. Boundaries are really important. And some of us grew up in households without boundaries. Some of us grow up in households with great boundaries. The boundaries we learn in our communities and our like nuclear families are, are different than those that we meet out in the wild, in the world, especially when the dating pool is widened by online dating people from in people in cities that you, you know, may have grown up in completely different parts of the country or the world. And communicating that and figuring that out right at the top is so important. And I'm not saying that like, it's a waste of time, but our, everyone's time is valuable. And I think we could all save ourselves a lot of time and heartbreak if we're just really upfront about our boundaries and our needs and our expectations in not just romantic, but all types of relationships right up front. If I told my, my younger self that, I don't know if they would listen, but that's what I would tell them. Before I answer the question, uh, I want to say that I kind of relate to, um, to Logan in a way because I did say things that weren't true about me just so I could get people to like me. But that's when I was a little kid. And um, it obviously did not work to my advantage. And and that's why I didn't make much friends because I was this big phony. But here's what I would say to my younger self. Don't compromise your identity just to please people. Just learn to appreciate and love yourself for who and what you are. Don't try to degrade yourself or lower yourself just to please anybody. You will have struggles throughout your lifetime in your youth. And trust and believe that there will be a group of people who will appreciate and love you for just the way you are. And if you think that pretending to be somebody else just to get noticed is going to help you, then you're doing more harm than good on yourself. So just please let your freak flag fly and you'll have people ride that freak train with you. I say that all the, the time, Melissa. That's like what I would the tell people my that the people that are right for you are the people who like find your version of weird hot. And oh my god, there are people out there that do. Like uh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree. And I found them here in New York City. I couldn't find them anywhere else. So I'm grateful that I've been in this uh, chaotic city for the past nine years. I actually just jumped ship out of New York because of the relationship. And, you know, I thought I had a real like loss of identity that I'm still struggling because I I will always be a New Yorker. I was in, in Brooklyn for 13 years. But like to realize that there are interesting artistic people you know in other cities uh, such as i'm in i'm in philadelphia right now it's encouraging and it's not it's not the one place one place is not the end all be all one relationship is not the end all be all that is also i think advice for the young the younger selves <laughs> i totally agree on that but they don't have good pizza that that's the thing they have, they don't fan have okay philly is one of the oldest italian communities so fantastic italian food or if you want to go to a brick oven place but yeah the water sucks. <laughs> Sorry, Philly. <laughs> For me, I, I have not found my version of weird yet. Um, I found, you know, that point, Melissa, incredibly insightful. If I had to go back in time and give my younger self advice, I think what I would say is, you know, get out there a little more. I, you know, kind of like Melissa, didn't date as much um, when I was younger. I was extremely focused on school and my career. I went to school very young. I went to college with a really bad haircut that my mom gave me. I wish I would have told her not to do that. She thought it'd be easier for me to, you know, be able to take care of my own hair if it was really short. But it was, it was, it was not it. So obviously, one of the things that has really changed everything the last couple of years, whether we're talking about work or play. Uh, is the uh, ongoing COVID pandemic. Brie, can you tell us a little bit about 
how COVID has affected your career as as an artist and, and your feelings about that. <laughs> I think I can speak for a lot of people when I say that um, COVID affected my industry in a very big way and in ways that people don't expect because, you know, people don't understand how television and movies and podcasts, how much, you know, being in person was the norm and how it literally just transformed everything. Uh, but uh, right before COVID, I was probably having the most successful time in my career. I had booked my first recurring role on a TV show on Apple TV's C. Uh, I was uh, in the first couple episodes of that. I was so I was I had just joined the union. I had also really started getting my feet into voiceover, voicing a celebrity project with Audible. So I was making my living for the first time solely on acting. And for me, it's like that's the dream. That's the goal to be a working artist. I don't need to be a celebrity. I just want to be a working artist. I just want to wake up and do what I do every day. And then with everything shutting down, I'm, I'm already a marginalized actor being disabled, being queer. So uh, my opportunities are less. And, you know, there were, there were Asian changes I had. I, you know, I got dropped by the agent I was at. I unfortunately was able to get picked up by KMR during COVID. Uh, but, you know, liter virtually, quite literally my work stopped and the way I do my work the expectations completely changed luckily I, I am a proud member of SAG-AFTRA and SAG is trying to do the best to protect us if we go on set we are compensated for any testing that we do uh, any COVID testing in some I, I did a commercial for MasterCard in 2021 and they even sent like a concierge to test me because they just want to make sure that everyone is absolutely safe and I think that all productions that are SAG including the one that we just did now as Easter Seal the Seals uh they they have a waiver with SAG after so that we can do we can do this work for free we can create art and be a part of this great project and and without it affecting our union standing so uh, we did a really great job with this production and I got like these real serious kind of PCR tests. So there was, you know, there was, uh, it was foolproof that everyone was safe and did not have COVID and we, she provided the N95 masks for us. But um, it really, especially in that first 2020, 2021, nothing has ever happened like this to this country, to the entertainment industry, to Hollywood, to Broadway. Broadway, the fact that Broadway shut down for as many months as it did was unprecedented. I have a theater degree, but I have not worked in professional theater. Honestly, I feel like Broadway is maybe the most ableist out of all of the things. <laughs> uh, as far, and also, as far as uh, body standards and things like that, they have the most uh, catching up to do. But it, so many actors were just, just not working. And having to also take jobs that we're not used to. Like, most actors work as, as waiters and front of house. I had to work in a warehouse where I, I, you know, where there were things that were physically and visually challenging for me. I had to do types of work that was not using my front of house skills because there was no front of house. There were no retail. There was very, very limited uh, in-person restaurant, retail, museum. And when I did start working at my survival jobs again i would have to put myself at risk if i because i needed money when the stimulus ran out i i needed to you know put myself at risk every day and yeah i ended up getting COVID three times and literally lost my my, my sense of smell and taste were, were affected in a way they call it parosmia where your olfactory nerves get messed up and things taste not right for about a year and a half and like Anna experience knows about my experience and Melissa was going uh, around me during this time too like I couldn't eat so many things and you know like from cutting out I had to cut out meat garlic onions things just tasted vile and as someone who already is like down one you know I already don't see well to not be able to smell and taste it was it was severely depressing so it was affecting my physical health. It affected my, my livelihood and, and also like the mental health of like, I had just gotten to a place where I literally just walked the red carpet for the first of my life. And I was so excited to, you know, ride off the, the, the success that I already had. And momentum is just so important 
in in entertainment because you you get you get your work yes via your, your auditions and this but like word of mouth is really important like oh i worked with oh anna's great i worked with her and so and so oh let's hire anna for this so having that kind of relevancy and having that kind of big drop off really kind of just set me back for a while so now it's i i'm back in the place where it's you know I am fortunately enough in a good enough position where I have the time and bandwidth to audition and to do creative projects. And I was able to do some commercial and voiceover stuff since the pandemic. And I, you know, I, right now I'm in my home vocal booth because now that is the industry standard. I am using my ring light because it is the industry standard that not only do we have to act, but we have to know how to edit and direct and submit our tapes, which is auditioning is already stressful enough when you have a, you know, less, sometimes less than a 48 hour deadline to get in what might be the biggest job of your life. But when you have to do that and basically in a vacuum without the feedback of a casting director or someone in the room, it can be quite isolating and it can sometimes feel like you're screaming into a void. And I think that's something I've heard from a lot of actors, no matter whether they're just getting started, they're just out of school or they were working on television or working, working consistently. We, there's this commiseration of, yeah, um, sometimes I don't even want to send the tape out anymore. Cause it's like, I feel like I'm just, there's even less feedback than before. And it can be very, isolating and we're we're not seeing each other at the auditions as much we're not seeing each other in person as it, it's you know we're still slowly coming out of of our shells as far as socializing in the industry and, and networking because our reality has become here i mean the great thing is you can go to classes and you know only have to dress up from the, you know the, the waist up as i demonstrated in the last film i did with with anna in in 2021 it's like professional on top easy breezy down below <laughs> but uh and and some people say like oh yeah you can have things in your control but we signed up to be actors we didn't sign up to be videographers i can't see light and color so when i have to film myself it's it's a struggle to make sure i have the right lighting and i look right and trying to get the right color backdrop and all this and editing it is especially as actors with disabilities or doubly at a disadvantage now a lot of actors they don't even memorize their lines and they're tell they're being told by casting directors oh you don't need to memorize the script so now they're expecting things to come out quickly newsflash i have to memorize the script still because i need very very large print and if i'm not memorized i'm sniffing the screen so it is also put another obstacle in my way for success so unless i'm in a situation where accommodation can be made where i get large print or a little bit more time I'm, you know, put in an, an awkward situation where I have to advocate for myself. And it's not that I have trouble doing that. It's just when I'm acting, I don't want to wear my advocate hat. And I feel like these days, ever since COVID started, I have to put on my advocate hat more than my actor hat. And it's nice to do things like the disability film challenge because it's like, oh, great. It's already like a known thing that I have this disability and have certain needs. I can just be an actor. Or I can just write. I can just do the creative stuff and do what I'm good at and not have to compensate for the rest. So, and, and, I, and I feel like even though the world has, a lot of the world sadly feels like COVID is quote unquote over, it's not. <laughs> and uh, there are people with compromised immune systems who are still living in fear of, you know, getting a disease that can really mess up their health long-term. And as far as the industry, before COVID, New York was a, like becoming more of a film and television town. And I feel like even though th things are back, people are busy. I, I think it, it and, and y'all can jump in if you agree or not. I feel like the opportunities have shrunk because it's because we have to it has become more expensive and more costly to shoot so i feel like less people are getting their their big breaks and those big jobs and i know something that people like to talk about on social media a lot 
is the whole like rise of the Nepo baby talent. And, you know, it, the reason why we're seeing maybe more of that or being more aware of that is because, yeah, producers are really trying to, you know, meet the bottom line. And someone who is from like a legacy entertainment family or from a lot of generational wealth, they're not going to be as much of need of that paycheck because, you know, for for me, if it wasn't for a C and the project I did with Audible, I would have I would have run out of money sooner during COVID. So I was lucky to have that uh, when I did. But also, if I knew COVID was going to happen, I would have saved my money better because I was under this assumption that okay, this is my new normal. This is my new earning. I'm actually middle class for the first time in my life. <laughs> so I'm I'm hopeful that things will evolve. And I think COVID also shined a light on a lot of corruption and discrimination. I think a lot of, a lot of movements have really shined a light on things like racism and ableism and sexism in Hollywood because we had that, we had the time because we were stopped. Anyway. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hopeful that things will get back to, I will say, a new normal. I'm grateful that, I, you know, I've learned new skills as far as like recording myself and everything like that. But I'm hopeful with productions like this one that people's health is now more of a priority in the industry. People are being seen as humans and not producing capitalist automatons. Um, People understand now a little more like if you're like, hey, I don't feel well. I feel sick. I I need to mark this today or I need to I think there's just a, a, a greater awareness of physical health and mental health and I think that it helps us with disabilities. On the other hand, there is a little bit uh there's I, I feel like there's still a little bit more of a penny pinching and I hope eventually it will kind of balance out as we adjust to okay, COVID's not going away. Uh, this is we need to build this into the system of our productions and our companies and our budgets and hopefully that will eventually be better for us who are working actors who are looking to make a living and those opportunities will increase I've been able to create projects like this I've also been able to have some paid work commercial work since COVID I've been doing a lot of voiceover I recently did another audio drama with a with a company called Realm. So a, lots of it, it's kind of really like refocused me into voiceover. So I'm grateful for that and that there are things that are, that we found as artists like when there's a will there's a way. We're going to find a way to be creative. And uh, especially with Anna in, in the last 3 years at Easter Seals we found amazing ways to collaborate with people across the country and you know through filming things through zoom through filming filming things with green screen including cast members and celebrity cameos um, from all over the place who made you know if in the before times we would just assume oh this person doesn't live in new york this is impossible but it's like hey we we are truly in a a new a new world so it is a blessing and a curse, I'll say. There's a few things I want to touch on when it comes to COVID, both in terms of making film um, and work and dating. One of the things is that at the end of the day, COVID is just a word for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. It's a SARS virus. The S, it, start, it stands for serious. Um, so it is something that I think a lot of people started taking seriously. Unfortunately, a lot of people have dropped the precautions for honestly not very good reasons because the virus hasn't changed as much as people think it has. There's still a lot of people getting sick, a lot of people getting hospitalized. My God, we are losing a 9-11's worth of people almost every week in the U.S. alone. And we have people in positions of power who are using their power, I would say very irresponsibly and not really realizing that, hey, you just have to level of people because you know, I'll tell you on our set, we try to be, you know, as COVID safe as one could possibly be. It wasn't just one precaution. We, we use tests. We use PCR-like tests. They're called the Sierra tests. So they're a little bit more accurate than your average home test. 
We also wore high quality masks throughout, you know, the day whenever we were indoors together outdoors because we tested, we felt, you know, safe enough. We weren't, you know, sitting on top of each other that we could drop that precaution. So I think people see, you know, masking as it's like, oh my God, what are you going to do? You're going to mask your whole life thing. But no, it's just a tool like any other tool. You know, there are situations where it's appropriate both to take care of yourself and to take care of the people around you because a big part of disability culture is this concept of community care and accommodation. So, you know, these were SAG rules. These still are um, until at least May the rules on any SAG production. Um, so even if I wanted to, as the legally responsible party, I couldn't, you know, not require those things. But also, you know, at the same time, morally and also for myself, I, you know, it's an accommodation I need for my disability. And it's just, you know, something in the disability community, I think we are very good at accommodating each other. So for example, for me to work with someone with Bree's disability, I think a lot of people get nervous and they don't realize how easy these accommodations are. So for me, it's just about instead of exporting a script as a PDF, I can export it as a Word document and she can make the font however big she needs it to be. It's easy for both of us. And, you know, she's accommodated and it's not really an inconvenience at all for me. You know, and it's the same thing with masking. You know, I do want to acknowledge there are, you know, several types of disabilities where masking is difficult or impossible. That's not who I'm talking about at all. And those things are exceedingly rare, but people have a lot of feelings about this topic. And, you know, I just want them to understand, like, the virus doesn't care. The virus has no feelings. And, you know, I think it's just important to look at reality and do the things that have kept us safer, you know, throughout the years that, you know, we did have those protections in place, which unfortunately have dropped. And even, you know, I do want to call out some disability organizations that have been part of the problem when, you know, they know better and they should be being part of the solution. So, you know, that's been frustrating as well. I think in terms of the dating landscape and COVID, it's been tough, honestly. Like it's something that I've avoided just because logistically a lot of dating, at least in my past life before COVID, I had a very, very active social life. I was in restaurants and door dining probably five times a week. I'm a big foodie. And the fact that actually in New York City, a lot of places have outdoor dining has just been wonderful for me because I can still enjoy the food and the things that I enjoy most about that experience, you know, seeing friends. But it's hard with dating because, you know, sometimes like the weather is not great. And it's also my friends are very aware that I'm very COVID safe and, you know, they it's not a problem for them to accommodate that. Having to go through that on top of everything else with every new person is tough. And I think especially like I don't want to, you know, generalize, but, you know, when I'm going down the street and I see a guy wearing an N95 mask, first thing I do is I look at that <laughs> ring finger because I'm like, that is such a rare specimen these days where I'm like, oh my God, it's a man and he's wearing a mask because I do think also, you know, again, you know, just in terms of what I've been visually able to see out in the world, men do tend to, you know, feel like, oh, am I going to look like I'm scared of the virus? Am I going to scare like this? Like they want to appear macho. They want to, you know, appear like they're not scared of anything, but it's, you know, it's not about being scared or not scared. I think it's about being practical and just the same way where like, you know, you wouldn't, you know, not wear your seatbelt and, you know, what are you going to spend your whole life living in fear of like, no, the seatbelt is a tool that stops you from getting injured. And I think what people also don't realize is that the disability community is the only minority group that people can join at any point of their lives. And like Brie was sharing her experience with having some neurological symptoms after her infection, that's actually called long COVID. And you don't have to be currently disabled to get long COVID. I know very healthy people who in, you know, unfortunately in 2020 or even more recently in 22, had an infection, a mild infection, didn't put them in the hospital or anything. And now they have disabilities too. And it's very unfortunate because people don't know that the, you know, the powers that be really have not done a good job of informing people of the risks so that people could have informed consent. And going back to the topic of dating, it's just, I think, hard to find people who are on the same page in terms of COVID precautions, because I think even within the COVID cautious community, there's a spectrum, there's a different level of I might, you know, I just said I go outdoor dining and there, you know, if I say that in certain, you know, groups, there are 10 people who will jump on that with a reply telling me, you know, I am Mm. being super unsafe when, you know, objectively, I think 
at least from the data I've seen, like the risks are much lower. And, you know, that small of a risk is, of course, not no risk, but, you know, something that is not the same as going to a concert indoors where no one's wearing a mask and not wearing a mask yourself. And I think like that nuance is sometimes lost. You would totally swipe. (laughs) Yeah, you would totally swipe left on me with some of the things I do. (laughs) Cause I'm kind of like, I have long COVID. I'm already screwed. (laughs) Well, each infection can make it worse. (laughs) It is really elucidating for you to say that. And even especially with online dating, I wish there was more awareness and things that you could check because like you have to have these conversations of okay when do you mask how cautious are you have you been around anyone who has been infectious because you know you could go on a date with someone and then like you get covid because that person was in contact with this person especially in communities of of, you know people who are ethically non-monogamous and polyamorous yeah it could happen. One person goes to one gay club and then half half the, the town gets COVID. <laughs> like, it happened I, with, a night, with a nightclub, with a nightclub in Philly. Yeah. Like, there was an event. It was a COVID spreading event. And I was very lucky that I didn't get it because, like, half my friends ended up getting COVID from that event. Yeah, and it's also, like, not, I mean, I would say it's also in the cisgendered heterosexual community as well because... You know, here in New York City, one of the challenges like has nothing to do with COVID is that when you date men, like the men here have a lot of options. And so there's a lot of sort of when people are dating, um, they're not necessarily in a relationship. It's more more those are early stages of dating. People are dating lots of people and you can't it's hard to say to someone like, hey, I'm only okay with this if you know i'm the only person you're ever seeing because it's just, it's just not realistic yeah. i think in this post covid world like people have to put a lot of their safety boundaries up front like i am not going to meet up with you unless i know you're vaccinated like simple as that and unfortunately this brings us full circle to this all assumes that people are even telling the truth right and I think we're gonna we're gonna close there. Everybody, check out the Easter Seals Disability Film Challenge and Crip Fished. The link and everything is in the show notes. Thank you so much to all of you. It's been a real pleasure, and uh, I can't wait to hear how the film does. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate it five stars so that others have a chance to listen to it as well. And make sure to subscribe so that you can get our future episodes. All our platforms are accessible at strangersoninternet.com. Again, that's strangersoninternet.com. Know the. You can become a part of our community by joining the Strangers on the Internet Facebook group or following us at Swipe Strangers on Twitter, Instagram, or Mastodon, where we are on the Fostodon server with two S's. I would like to thank my husband, Carlos Farini, for sound editing, as well as Vlad Kuyujuklu for permission to use his music for this podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye.